The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses, so you must be careful to do whatever they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on others, other people's shoulders, but they themselves do not lift a finger to ease that burden. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long, for they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted." Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by that oath. Oh, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by that oath. Oh, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones and everything unclean. 
In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the very descendants of those who murdered the prophets. So go ahead and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes. You brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed upon the earth. I tell you the truth. All of this will come upon this generation. This is the Word of the Lord. Guys, that is a description of first century religion at its absolute best. Like this is what Judaism had devolved into by the time Jesus of Nazareth arrived on the scene. This is what the spiritual leadership of the covenant people of God had become. Like this was their normal mode of operation for the religious leaders of Israel in the first century. And Jesus found it repulsive. And He viewed it with utter disgust. And in Matthew 23, He pronounced His final judgment upon it. Guys, this is not the way it's supposed to be. For the people who name the name of Yahweh, hypocrisy is not the mode of operation for God's covenant people. God hates every form of hypocrisy. In fact, Jesus calls it out a dozen times in Matthew's Gospel. And yet, if you were to ask someone today why they don't go to church, among their top answers will be because the church is full of hypocrites. This is not the way it's supposed to be for those who follow the Nazarene. For those who are followers of Christ. In fact, Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount tells His followers, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then with His very next words, He warns them, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Like this is supposed to be our new MO, our new mode of operation. Be righteous, but be careful. 
That's what Jesus is telling His followers. I mean, you think about this. This is the Sermon on the Mount and the gathered crowd has come to hear of the Messiah. They expect a a man who is going to lead them in triumph over Rome. Instead, He tells them, if anyone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other. They expect somebody who will uphold the righteousness of the Pharisees. And yet he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He calls them to be righteous as their heavenly Father is righteous. But then he says, but watch yourself. Be righteous. But be careful. Like the word translated beware in the ESV and be careful in the NIV is a present active imperative. Which means that it calls for our constant attentiveness to our own capacity for self-deception. Guys, we deceive ourselves all the time. In little and in big ways, we are blind to our own blindness. And so Jesus says, hey, be on guard. Be on guard against the inner Pharisee that is in each one of us. Now, I've always found it interesting that Jesus warns about practicing our righteousness before other people so that they will see us. But just a few moments earlier, He said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. To which you have to wonder, okay, which is it? Like, are we supposed to practice our righteousness before men or hide our righteousness before men? Like, I don't understand. Which is it? Like, is Jesus contradicting Himself by commanding in Matthew 5.16 what He forbids in Matthew 6.1? Well, of course not. In fact, to understand it, you just have to look at the last five words he says there in verse 1. To be seen by men. Those five words are critically important because they expose the motivation at the heart of why we do what we do. The motivation at the heart of the actions of these hypocrites. Like all too often, we want to be seen not for God's glory, but for our own. Like we want the applause of men. We want others to think that we are awesome. We want people to think that we are spiritual. And as always, the Scripture points us back to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What's your motivation? Why do you do what you do? Why are you here this morning? Like, why did you come to church? Why do you open God's Word? Why do you ever pray? Why do you give? Bruner puts it this way. He says, it is right to do good works in such a way that when people see them, they think of God. It is wrong to do good works in such a way that when people see them, they think of us. I mean, here's a good rule of thumb. Show your good works when you're tempted to hide them and hide your good works when you're tempted to show them. Like, I think that's a great rule of thumb. 
Like when you know that this will bring glory to God, let people see those good works when it'll get your attention and people will think of you. Do it in secret. Be righteous, but be careful. You see, all of us, guys, all of us, me included, all of us, especially pastors, all have an inner Pharisee. And so Jesus is teaching that whenever you do any kind of works of righteousness, any kind of moral act, any kind of piety or sacrifice, we should ask ourselves this question, why? Like, why am I doing this? Like, who am I trying to please by what I do? What's my motivation? Is my motivation a desire to genuinely bring pleasure to God and to glorify Him? Or is it to receive the applause of men? Like, I I think here's a really good test. One that I've taken before and failed miserably. Which is more important to you? Being humble or having people think that you are humble? I mean, which is more important? Like, do you genuinely genuinely want to be humble? A humble man or woman? Or would you simply be satisfied with people saying, man, that guy is so humble. Like, he's the most humble person I have ever met. He should get a button and wear it for being the most humble person. But when he puts it on, he won't be the most humble person anymore, right? This is the kind of person who says, man, I don't want to go through all the headache of being humble without people knowing about it, right? So which is more important to you? We all have an inner Pharisee. And so do not deceive yourself. Jeremiah tells us in 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Desperately sick. The Russian author Turgenev captured this truth perfectly when he wrote these words. I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. Guys, that, that is truth. Like, I don't know, I don't know what the people in Hamas are thinking. Like, the, the, the mindset that gives itself to that level of evil and debauchery, I can't even imagine, but I know what my heart is like. And it is terrible. Like, I know what I'm drawn to. I know the temptations I face. And how I am so tempted to want people to think that I am awesome and righteous and spiritual and humble. Like, the heart of a good man is terrible. We all have this amazing capacity and skill to turn the most simple act of righteousness into hypocrisy. Like, even humility we turn into an opportunity for recognition. Like, what the heck is wrong with us? Like, that's the result of living in a fallen world. That's the result of our own total depravity. And so Jesus tells His disciples, be righteous, but oh, oh, be careful. 
Don't tarnish the beauty of holiness. And above everything else, don't follow your heart. Your heart is stupid. Your heart is foolish. Your heart will lead you down the path of destruction. Don't trust yourself. And then he gives us three very specific examples. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and they, they, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they lo love to disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, like Jesus assumes that His followers will do all three of these things. Like these are healthy and holy practices for the Christian. Like these three examples that Jesus gives follow an identical pattern. Like He tells what the hypocrite does, and then He tells what the hypocrite will receive for reward. And then, in contrast, he tells what the righteous person does. And then he tells what the righteous person's reward is. So first, regarding the practice and reward of the hypocrite, this is what Jesus is saying. Don't give. Don't pray. Don't fast. Seeking, like motivated by the praise of men. Don't be a hypocrite. Like that term, in the Greek, comes from the theater. Like a hypocrite in that day was an actor in a play. And when actors take on a role, what do they do? Well, they pretend. Like they pretend to be someone that they are not. And the whole idea of acting and pretense was borrowed then from the theater of the day and so figuratively it came to be applied to those who treat the whole world as a stage on which they play a part they lay aside their actual identity covering up their heart of hearts and they assume a false identity they live in disguise impersonating somebody else they wear a mask they play a role and the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus rebukes in Matthew chapter 16 is insidious. 
Like it's insidious because it's far more subtle than simply the religious or moral person that's living a double life, right? We've all seen that. Like when we think of hypocrite, that's what we think about. We think of the guy who is a pastor or a deacon or a leader in the church, big Christian at work who says one thing but does another. He's got a secret life, maybe even a secret wife, like on the side. Like we think of that, but this form of hypocrisy that Jesus is rebuking is way more subtle than that. It's not simply pretending to be holy while hiding a secret life that is anything but holy. This hypocrite is someone who is righteous in their outward behavior, but they're simply doing it from the wrong motives. There's no indication that on the side these Pharisees had like a woman on the side. That they were skimming from the offering plate. Like there's, Jesus says nothing about that. He just simply says, these hypocrites do what they do so that people will high-five them. So that people will think better of them. So that people will admire them and applaud them and praise them. Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't wear a mask. Don't put on a show. Don't pretend like you're doing all of this for me. In fact, quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 15.8 that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They sing the right songs. They quote the right Scriptures. They do all the right activities. I mean, they're giving and they're fasting and they're praying. They're moral. They have a high standard. But they're not doing it for Yahweh. And so what does Jesus tell us? Be righteous. But be careful. Like, don't give. Don't pray. Don't fast. Seeking the praise of men. In fact, he says, hey, when you give, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Hey, check this out. Cha-ching. Can you believe what I gave? That's pretty incredible. I mean, that's 20% more than last year. Whoo, man, that's really, really good. I mean, what does this remind you of? To me, it reminds me exactly of Ananias and Sapphira. Like they see a righteous man, a righteous man sell a plot of land and lay those proceeds at the foot of the apostles, and they think, wow, everybody's applauding him. Everybody thinks that's really spiritual. We got to get us some of that. And you see in the book of Acts the first situation where church discipline is applied, and it is severe, severe because they both are killed by God. Jesus says, don't do that. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. I thank my God that I'm not like other men. I give, I pray, I sacrifice, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. Like they're the one who, when we have a church wide fast, 
They're the one who will tell you, oh, wow, man, my blood sugar is really low, but you know, from the fasting. Like, why does anybody need to know you're fasting? Like, why does anybody need to know what you give? Why does anybody need to know and see you praying? Like, why would they do this? Like, what's their motivation? He tells us three different times. Verse 2, that they may be praised by others. Verse 5, that they may be seen by others. Verse 16, that their fasting may be seen by others. Like, all of their giving, all of their praying, all of their fasting was geared to produce the applause and attention of other people. It was aimed at playing up to the crowd. Look at me. Check this out. In fact, in that day, you could always make a show of praying in the streets if you planned it just right. Because loud trumpets were sounded daily from the temple to signal afternoon prayer. And if you timed it just right, you could find yourself on a really busy street corner right when the trumpet sounds and you had a perfect opportunity to stop right there and parade your piety for everyone to see. Like how many people in the day of Jesus when the trumpets sounded found themselves on, oh, well, look, I'm on a busy street corner again. Oh, I, better, I was hurrying to the temple, but I didn't make it. And so I better just pray right here so that everybody can see me. You see, Jesus is not condemning public prayer. The problem isn't public prayer. He's condemning the desire to be seen praying publicly. Like Jesus is not condemning giving, obviously. He's condemning the idea, the, the desire to be known as that guy. Man, that guy's a big giver. Man, that guy really sacrifices. I remember Tim Hawks, the pastor of Hill Country Austin, told me one time that a man came in his office upset with him because of something Tim had taught or said or done. And this guy says in the middle of this rebuke of his pastor, do you know how much I give to this church? To which Tim said, no. I don't know how much you give to this church. I, I know how much I give. In fact, that's the only person I know how much they give is me. I don't, I don't know how much you give. I don't care how much you give. This person desired to be known as that guy and he thought he could use it to manipulate like his pastor to, to teach and do what he wanted him to do. Once again, Jesus isn't condemning prayer. He's not condemning giving. He's condemning the motivation in the end, the hypocrites in their giving, in their praying, in their fasting was all simply a successful, I don't know, public relations stunt. And nothing more. It's just PR. Look at me. Check me out. Like they're not giving. They're buying. And they get what they paid for. And so what's the result of all their praying, of all their fasting, of all their giving? Jesus says three times in verse 2, verse 5, and verse 16, Truly I say to you, 
they have received their reward. In fact, that word received was a term used in commercial transactions in the day. It literally meant paid in full. Paid in full. They got everything that they deserved from doing what they did in front of everybody else. They traded the applause of heaven for the applause of men. And so if that sounds in any way like you, you can be certain of one thing. You have no reward from your Father in heaven. And that's what Jesus says. An absolute statement. Like if you're doing this so that people will notice you, if you're doing this for the applause of men, if you're doing this for the praise of men, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. An earthly goal will have an earthly reward and nothing more. They get what they're after, but that's all that they get. Men may praise you, but God never will. And so if you do these things to be noticed by people, that will be your sole reward. And so the hypocrite prays for the approval of a human audience. But the kingdom citizen is supposed to pray for the approval of a heavenly audience. And note, Jesus doesn't say, you know, if you do this, then you have no reward at all. No, He says, He simply states that they have no reward from God. Like if you seek a reward from men, you will get it. But you will get no reward from God. And so how are we as followers of Christ supposed to go about our giving and our praying and our fasting. Because once again, Jesus assumes the church will give. The church will pray. The church will fast. And so we need to give, we need to pray, and we need to fast seeking, motivated by the pleasure of God. You see, Jesus is all for the practice of piety. He's simply not for the performance of piety. He's seen that movie and he's not interested. He's already been to that play and he's not buying a ticket. And so he says, when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be for others to see, but to your Father who is in secret. By the way, when Jesus says, anoint your head and wash your face, that's simply a first century way of saying, hey, just be normal. Like, just act normal. Don't draw attention to yourself. Remember, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What's your motivation? Like, don't draw attention to yourself by how you give or how you pray or how you fast. If, in fact, if you're giving and praying and fasting, uh, you need to maybe ask this question. Are you acting like a mirror in your giving? Reflecting back all the glory to God. Are you acting like a, a mirror in your praying, in your fasting, reflecting back all the glory to God, or are you acting like a sponge, absorbing all the attention and all the praise for yourself? 
Like who is your service about? Who is your praying about? Who is your giving about? You know, it's interesting, whenever you want to give an example, it's always awkward, and a personal example of somebody who is really humble. It's always awkward. Once again, it's like giving an award out for the most humble person, and when they step on the stage to receive the reward, they lose the reward, right? But it's safe today because this person is not here. Our former worship pastor, Doug Fisher, what a humble and gracious leader he was. Guys, we were so blessed to have that man for the years that we had him. I remember one time hearing a criticism about Doug. You know, if I didn't know better, if I didn't go to this church, I'd look up on that stage and I wouldn't know who the worship pastor was. To which I responded, praise the Lord. Like, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Doug was an equipper of the saints who handed ministry away and made much of other people. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what Jesus calls all of us to, not just pastors, to do our works in secret. Like, notice that repetition of that word, secret, secret, secret. Those words would have been shocking to a first century audience who was all about public displays of piety. But Jesus says, when you give, like when you give, hey, don't even look at yourself, which is kind of weird. How do you do that? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like the offering plate passes, like just kind of like look up and drop it in. However that works, I don't know. But John Stott explains it this way, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness not by self-congratulation. Like, don't try to impress others with your giving. In fact, don't even try to impress yourself. In other words, just give and then forget about it. Don't celebrate your own acts of righteousness. Don't pat yourselves on the back and applaud your own goodness. Like, don't keep a journal of your awesomeness jotting down the good deeds and deep insights into the Word that you have in the hope that one day when you're dead, somebody will find it, be amazed by how godly you are and publish that thing. And guys, that's a real example for me personally because when I was in Bible college, I started keeping a journal and then I went back and read it and thought, who the heck is this guy? Like, I don't even recognize him. I'm not that wise. I'm not that kind. I'm certainly not that humble. Like, I'm not that godly. Who is this guy? And I just put it away. And it was years, guys, years before I started keeping a journal again because I thought, I'm not spiritual enough to keep a journal. Like, I think I'm Jim Elliott or something. They're going to find my journal and publish this thing and talk all about me after I'm dead. It's not going to happen. Guys, don't turn a spiritual practice... (laughs) in an occasion for self-promotion. Ask this question, who am I trying to please by my giving, by my praying, and by my fasting? And Jesus tells us three times, verse 6, verse 3, verse 17, and your Father who sees in secret. Guys, in your Bible, you ought to circle that a thousand times. Like, if you're going to memorize anything from this section, memorize this. Your Father, 
who sees in secret will reward you. Like you should be satisfied with having only God as the witness to all of these things. Our giving and our praying and our fasting should be done for the audience of one. For the applause of heaven. Because our Father, guys, sees every silent gift. He sees and hears every private prayer. And He sees the unnoticed fast. And He will bless you with a heavenly reward. It might not come in this lifetime, but it's going to be much better for coming later. In fact, the idea of rewards, I don't know if you wrestle with the idea of rewards in heaven. Like, what does that even mean? I feel like I'm a mercenary. I'm doing righteous things so that God will give me stuff. I remember years ago reading uh, what I think was the best sermon of the 20th, the 20th century by C.S. Lewis. It was called The Weight of Glory. And in that, he unpacked what it means to be given a gift by God. And he says this, Nothing is so obvious in a child as its great and undisguised pleasure in being praised. Not only in a child either, but also even in a dog or a horse. He's talking about how he really wrestled with the idea of being praised for anything he did. And he thought it was spiritual. In fact, humble of him to say, no, no, I don't need that. I don't want the reward of heaven. I don't want to be noticed. And then he says this, Apparently, what I had mistaken for humility had all these years prevented me from understanding what is in fact the humblest and most childlike, the most creaturely of pleasures, the specific pleasure of the inferior. The pleasure of a beast before men, a child before its father, a pupil before its teacher, a creature before its Creator. Can you imagine that something you do that no one knows about, may never know about, brings pleasure to your Heavenly Father, the Maker of all things, the Sustainer of the universe, the One who speaks and light comes into being, has a smile on His face, by what we do. God sees what we give. And that is enough. God hears what we pray. And that is enough. God knows why we fast. And that is enough. Like We should be like children who long for the approval of their mom and dad. That's okay. It's normal for to want to be noticed. We just need to take our eyes off of men. We need to tune our ears for the applause of heaven. This past week, I was at my son's house and my little grandson, who just turned two, was on the little bitty trampoline he has in the backyard, jumping and having a good time. It was enjoyable, but he wanted it to be a little bit more. So what did he add to it? These words, Papa. 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 Papa, watch. Like He didn't want to just jump and have fun. He wanted me, his Papa, to see him. Guys, that's healthy. That's normal. 
We just need to place our eyes on the right object. God sees all. He hears all. Nothing is lost. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. i got to tell you, does that encourage you? Is that enough? Like I love in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. After God has been rebuking the nation of Israel for their religiosity and their fake worship and their immorality and everything else, it says in verse 16 of chapter 3 that those who fear the Lord got together and they spoke to one another. And then it says this, and the Lord, Yahweh, noticed. He paid attention. And a book of remembrance was written in His presence for those who feared the Lord and spoke together. It's like God is seeing from heaven this conversation play out on earth and He's like, hey, hey, shh. Check this out. This is good stuff. Write it down. When they get here, I want you to read to them what is happening here. Nothing is lost. Nothing is missed. Nothing is wasted. God sees every act of secret faithfulness. We just need to tune our ears once again for the applause of heaven. We're all sinners. We all fall short. The church is the only institution where every member is convinced that they don't deserve to be there. May God expose our inner Pharisee. May God show us that from beginning to end, our story from Him is grace upon grace upon grace. Let's pray. Father, I think of the people even in this room right now who their inner Pharisee or inner legalist is exposed by simply how they answer a question. Like, how do I know that if I were to stand before God and He were to ask me, why should I let you enter heaven? Their answer is, I'm trying harder. I'm hoping against hope. Lord, I just thank You that um, my trying is over. Lord, I know that uh, at the moment of my departure from this earth, I will be brought into Your presence and welcomed as a son not because of any good thing that I have done, not because of my giving or my praying or my fasting or my morality or my goodness or the job that I had while I was on the earth, but God, only because of grace. Just like in Your church on this earth in the invisible, beautiful, eternal church, I do not deserve to be a member. But I've been brought in by the grace of Jesus. 
portrayed now in this table as we celebrate communion with You. Remembering the death for the sin of the world, the resurrection of Christ. May this bread be true food for us, this cup true drink, to nourish Your bride this week, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.